This month, we are offering an encore presentation of our most listened to episode, Why is Sex Education Important? with Dr. Don Lucas. I wanted to replay it in part because it's just a very thought-provoking episode and periodically I need to review why I'm doing this work too. I was lucky enough to be able to interview Dr. Don when the Pleasure Principle began in 2020. And we talked about why sex education is so important for our society as a whole, and specifically why it is still important, even in a pandemic. But before I start this featured replay, I want to bring it down to a personal level. Ultimately, I do this work because no one was offering this information to me as a child. And access to age-appropriate, science-based information is still hard to come by, no matter what your age. But in the 1960s and 1970s, we didn't talk about sex, we didn't say the word sex, we didn't acknowledge that it happened. I was shamed if I ever exhibited anything that slightly resembled interest in sex or sensuality. These topics were dangerous and sinful. I was castigated when I complained about my grandfather groping me. And all of this subtle programming planted the seed that I had no right to autonomy over my own body, much less my own pleasure. And it started a cascade of tragic events leading to a series of dreadful choices that will sound familiar to some of you. Non-existent information and insidious shaming left me vulnerable to rape by a 29-year-old adjunct history professor when I was 16 years old. This led to an eating disorder that I struggled with for almost 10 years, depression and anxiety, and, and an escalating cycle of promiscuity and shame, which led to, ultimately, contraction of herpes. I don't know, I think I might have been the, like the herpes typhoid Mary of Eastern Montana. and. This is all because I didn't have the information. I had no idea what was happening with my body. Nobody talked to me about any of this. Now, ultimately, all of this angst and suffering led me to reach out to sex-positive communities that have allowed me to heal and become the badass woman I am today. For example, in my early 20s, I found a sex-positive community of erotic dancers at the Red Rose in Austin, Texas. I entered the midwifery community, which was woman-centered, and saw sexuality as life-giving rather than shameful and dirty. I even danced naked in the forest with hippy-dippy sex-positive goddess groups, and the healing rhythm of their tribal drumming touched me on a deep somatic level. Of course, there was lots of therapy in there too, but the therapists worth their weight in gold for me were the ones who were listed as kink-aware professionals. And this is how I eventually found the women's leather community, which led me to a final surge of power that has left me feeling whole. All of these sex-positive groups that offered empowering support and factual information about sexuality helped heal my wounded soul. So. My personal story is a perfect example of why sex education is important. Now, let's hear from Dr. Don, who puts all of this in a broader social science context. You want to talk about fear and anxiety? You want to talk about depression? Sexual stereotypes? Sexual prejudice? You want to talk about sexual discrimination? You want to talk about low self-esteem? You want to talk about poverty? About guilt? You want to talk about domestic violence? Family violence? You want to talk about rape? 
and sexual assault. We have the data to demonstrate all of those are correlated with the education you get relative to sex education. Okay, okay. Let me introduce you to Dr. Don. Today, we ask him the fundamental question, why is sex education important? At Joyful Sex Education, we provide the tools to foster sex-positive consciousness. Thank you for joining us on our podcast series, The Pleasure Principle, as we discover and define what sex-positive consciousness means to each of us, individually. You'll be amazed at what you learn about yourself and others. Dr. Don Lucas is a professor of psychology at Northwest Vista College in San Antonio, Texas. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Is there anything you'd like to add about your educational background? Sure. Um, So my name is Don Lucas. And uh, and as far as my training is concerned, I have a PhD in neuropsychology. And um, I come to human sexuality not intentionally. So um, all of my training in uh, in graduate school was uh, very basic. And as far as I was looking at the visual system, I I, I discovered a visual illusion called the parasychatic illusion of visual direction that about 17 people in the world are interested in, but it was fascinating to me. And uh, what I've always loved is teaching. So I, I have been teaching more than a dozen different psychology courses since 1989. And about 20 years ago, it was a Wednesday or Thursday afternoon, and uh, the chair of my department gave me a call and said, hey, Don, uh, we're relatively desperate. Uh, the person who was ta- teaching a human sexuality course Um, They're not going to be able to do it. Dr. Don, like many other sexuality experts, stumbled upon his career out of a sense of obligation, sparked when they came across vast gaps in sex research and resources. For example, in the 1950s, when Alfred Kinsey was teaching at Indiana University as a biology professor, he was asked to conduct a marriage class. Scientifically minded, he decided to do some reading on sexuality to prepare for the class. When he discovered a dearth of data, he decided to conduct the research himself. This led to the foundation of the Kinsey Institute. In a similar situation, Dr. Lucas was asked to fill in for an instructor that wasn't able to teach a sexuality class. Agreeing, he expected that he'd have a semester to develop the course. Uh, no. She was asking me on a Wednesday or a Thursday, and the course was going to start on a Monday. So I had four days to prepare for the course. I'm going, well, okay, you know what? I've never even taken a human sexuality course, let alone taught one before. And I do not say that proudly. I say that 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 is part of the problem. So that's how I come to human sexuality. Now, I can tell you this, one thing that has never changed in my academic life is my love of psychology. And my love of psychology is such as that I get to teach the best topic you can ever teach another human being because you're teaching that human being about themselves. And the information that you are sharing 
is completely based upon science. And all science is saying is that this is about nature. This is objective. So those are my beginnings. And, you know, I, I, I have a sense of humor. At least I, I think I have a sense of humor. Don't ask my kids. But when I introduced myself on 5MI Weekly, my YouTube channel, what my focus was is that, you know, I, I don't have fancy degrees associated with human sexuality. Um, Kara, you're going to know much more about human sexuality being a trained student on it than I am. Well, one of the things that I found out, so this is, this is literally more than 20 years ago, and I've taught human sexuality every single semester since, including over the summers, is that human sexuality is a different topic when it comes to all the topics I've ever taught in psychology. And of all the topics that I've taught in psychology, certainly there's often a, a lack of awareness and, and people are intrigued. They're like, oh my goodness, I never knew that before. And now I get to use this, this tool to benefit myself and others. But with human sexuality, not only were they coming to that awareness, they also were starting to recognize all the sources of information that they had been using in people and places and organizations and governments and schools and doctors were telling them things intentionally wrong. I have no problem with saying this out loud, and, and I will demonstrate evidence over and over again. It is the one part of the human condition that all humans talk intentionally wrong about. Whether we're talking about the K through 12 education system, well, whether we're talking about your physician, whether you're talking about a teacher, whether you're talking about a parent, whether you're talking about the media, we're going to find consistently this intentionality to talk wrong. So I, I want you to talk to me about why you think there is this pervasive uh, campaign of misinformation. I come at it from a perspective as a psychologist, and I look at human beings along the lines of that we have four basic things that are driving us. We have food that's driving us. We have aggression that's driving us. We have fears that are driving us. And we have sex and pleasure that's driving us. And by God, a quarter of what is driving us are sources of information that we are using are talking intentionally wrong about it. It's coming up on two years, coming up on three years in September that I had students say, hey, Dr. Don, that's what they call me, either Dr. Don or Jackass. Dr. Don, if you could do a YouTube channel, and I barely even knew what YouTube was. I said, oh, okay, yeah, I, I could do a YouTube channel on this. And that's where 5MI Weekly was born as well. So, you know, a, a lot of who I am as a human sexuality researcher and writer and 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 uh, 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 YouTube channel person, it, it, it wasn't my want. It's a need. It's a have to, and now it's my passion. How does sexuality and erotophobia tie into developmental psychology? You know, we're we're born into this world, and we're born into this world creatures that are certainly curious. And we can measure that curiosity before even day one within a womb. 
when we look at self-exploratory behavior. So by the third trimester, um, I don't care if you're a boy or girl or anything in between, we actually see that baby um, physically exploring itself and as far as uh, using its hands are concerned. Typically, that baby is exploring sensitive areas of their body, which is the big fancy name is erogenous zones. Now, we continue to do that from infancy through one, two years of age. We do a fantastic job at that when we're infants and babies. And we have this thing called parents. And parents are, you know, pretty much needed. Otherwise, I don't think we'd be around. But they start to look at this self-exploratory behavior. And what are they going to do with it? Now, if they have accurate sources of information and that accurate source of information, all it's saying is this is a part of normal development. In fact, when we start to look at someone who knows their body, then it's associated with a higher self-esteem in adolescence and adulthood, stronger self-concept. But the misinformed parent, and I'm going to argue at least two-thirds, and I could show you data for that as well, at least two-thirds of parents are going to be misinformed. Guess what they're going to do when they see that baby self-exploring its genitals? Mm, That's something that we don't do. So now that baby's already getting some initial feedback saying, this is wrong. Again, if the parent stands in the way of that, there's likely to be long-term ramifications. Here is where the parent makes it explicit that they are now going to intentionally present incorrect information to their child. The child starts talking. Language development. Language development starts in earnest 18 to 24 months. And guess what? One of the things a toddler is going to be most interested in putting words to, what they have been self-exploring for the past 12 months, 18 months. And what does a parent do? Nope, I don't get to talk about your vulva or your labia or your penis, your testicles. I get to talk about your yin-yang. I get to talk about your vajayjay. I get to talk about your private parts. What, that's the foundation of understanding. Us human beings, the one thing that we've got going for us that's completely different from any other species that scientists know about is the complexity of our language. The complexity of our language allows us to understand. That's how memories are formed. So if you're a parent that's listening and you're saying, I'm going to keep my children innocent when it comes to sexuality, that's why my little baby girl, when we talk about her vagina, we call it a cookie. Eventually, we will tell her what a cookie is. Know that your child thinks their vagina is literally a cookie. And I hope to God that they never see the cookie monster. Yikes. We just took a dark turn down Sesame Street. So guess what that parent is now doing? They're saying, yeah, the foundation of your sexuality, a quarter, if not more of what drives you as a human being 
is ambiguous. I'm the type of person when I see a problem, I'll give you a solution. Well, there's a simple solution. And as far as the parent is concerned, guess what the simple solution is? You use denotative language. You use denotative words. So I I could continue on with development, but there's an initial answer. And, and you know, um, in my human sexuality classes, I often do have new parents. Well, cool. I want to apply this. But when do I start? Well, guess what? We're sexual creatures from minus day one. We start off as being sensual creatures and eventually cognitively we get to define what part of our sensuality is sexual. Now imagine you didn't equip that child with the words or the words that you equip them with are intentionally ambiguous, intentionally confusing. That's all I'm saying. So what was your sex education like as a child? Um, it, it was pretty typical along the lines of uh, minimal. And typical, it's fear tactics. It's, you know, he, here's, here's what sexually transmitted infections are, but I'm not going to tell you about what the definition of sex is. And then if uh, you were to pry, uh, so I, I was four years of college. I have a bachelor's degree in psychology. Um, my PhD program was five years. I picked up a master's degree along the way. And then I did a postdoc. And I did not take a single human sexuality class, even though I had opportunities. And I'm very honest, I was afraid to take them. I I, I seriously was afraid. So why were you afraid? No, I don't know if I have an answer to that question. And and I'm a person who was going outside of my PhD program. I was taking classes in domestic violence, family violence. So extreme courses along those lines. Yet I, I would not take a human sexuality class. I started college when I was 17 and that 17 year old boy and, and, and having the opportunities to take a human sexuality class. Oh no. You know, who, who takes those classes? Uh, Perverts take those classes. That's probably who takes those classes. So I, I don't think I'm as afraid anymore. I don't get invited to parties anymore because I'm not afraid because I, I, they're like, I know what Don's going to be talking about. But uh, to overcome that fear, imagine if that was a basic part of the curriculum. Welcome to what society has done to sexuality. Um, you know, in, in our conversations before uh, by, by email, you were talking about this erotophobia, this 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 fear of anything that is, and I would tweak the definition, and I would tweak it along these lines. I don't think we're afraid of sensationalized sex. We are afraid of real sex. We're, we're afraid of authentic conversations about sexuality, and the the answer the answer is easy. Well, if you have sources of information that are intentionally talking wrong about it, where you're going to be confused. And with any form of confusion, there's going to be fear. Can you talk about the ramifications of misinformation? Let, let, let's say we are talking K through 12 curriculum 
and um, you, 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 you don't know about uh, physics along the lines of uh, gravity, and you don't know uh, about uh, how the planets interact with one another. And uh, you start spouting off this this information that you know what there there's only uh, 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 three planets in in our solar system. Well, you're wrong. There's there's more than three planets in our solar system. But what are the ramifications of that? How is that going to really affect you personally? How is that going to affect you socially? How is that going to affect you in relationships? How is that going to affect you relative to consent? How's that going to affect you relative to you being violent when you get pissed off with the person you're in love with? It's going to have no effect at all. Good point. And I completely agree for the average civilian, but someone with that level of scientific ignorance would never end up uh, as like high level policymakers in the government. Right? Now let's change that. Now we're talking K through 12 education and again, and you could take a human sexuality class that could be offered to you. And it's a comprehensive. So relationships are addressed. Violence is addressed. Self-esteem is addressed. But we keep that out of the curriculum. What is going to be have more negative consequences to you and the people around you for the rest of your life? You thinking that there's three or four planets in the solar system or you not knowing who you are from a sexual perspective, you not knowing what motivates your behavior, you not knowing that violence in America today is most likely to happen within a, I've got quotation marks again, within a loving relationship, that the people who are most likely to be sexually abused, the people who are most likely to be raped in our country are not adults. Their children. I think that would have greater ramifications and probably should be a part of a basic curriculum versus versus math, <laughs> versus physics, versus chemistry. Are these other important topics? Oh, absolutely. They're a part of the human condition, but the basic part of the human condition is going to be about sex. It's going to be about knowing. It's going to be about relationships. So frustrated. I'm starting to sound like an old man that's frustrated. That's what my videos are, is I use my humor more than my frustration. And one of the things that I have found is the vast majority of people, what they're trying to figure out is, oh, my gosh, are you a real bridge? Meaning, can I talk to you about human sexuality? for real? And they're excited about it. As a society, you've been doing this for 20 years. Do you think that we are moving towards or farther away from sexual enlightenment? Yeah, excellent question. <laughs> um, it's certainly not linear. Uh, I, I can say that. Um, here's one of the things that has remained exactly the same. Once you create a space to allow people to ask any question, and yes, feelings might get hurt, gosh, people pay attention to the data. That has not changed in more than 20 years. Now, what people are bringing into the classroom, yeah, that, that, that has definitely changed. 
Um, are the biases still there? Yeah, they're there. What has changed radically is this source of information called the internet. <laughs> and here is one of the, we've done several studies along these lines to, to give you some data behind this as, in addition to my observations. So the Kinsey Sex Research Institute in 1989 put out a sex knowledge test, and they were just trying to figure out what the typical American knows about sex. Um, when they put that survey out and they surveyed uh, um, literally thousands of people uh, uh, around America, only 5% of Americans passed that test with a 16, oh, no, change it, with a 14 or higher out of, out of 18 questions. So vast majority of Americans, uh, surprise, surprise, in 1989, they don't know jack when it comes to sex. Again, not judging, but makes sense based upon the sources of information that are being used. Well, what we did in my lab is on the 25th anniversary, if you will, uh, of when this, this test was put out, we said, I-, I wonder what Americans know now when it comes to sex. Now we have this, uh, you know, small change in our society called the Internet. Certainly anything, anything, you know, well beyond sex, anything you want to find out is at your fingertips. So certainly people's scores on this exact same test will significantly increase. And I'm seeing you. I'm glad that I get to see you. Well, surprise, surprise. Guess what we found? There's no significant differences. And as far as what has stayed the same, well, the sources of information. Wow. Yeah. Certainly we're teaching about sex now in schools. Uh, No. Uh, Only 20 states as of uh, March 2019, only 20 states. And the last time I, I looked, we have 50 states. Only 20 states of the United States are required to teach sex education from a science or medical-based perspective. I mean, let, let your listeners think about that for a moment. I'm not talking about the number of states that actually have sex education. And and that would be a dramatic, horrible number in itself. No, I'm just saying, if you decide to teach sex education in your K through 12 curriculum, whether it's an hour long or a week long, uh, 30 states of the union can say anything they want. Anything. So literally, if we were to be doing that in math, You can teach children that two plus two equals five. Plain and simple. Well, you can say relative to what we know, there are two sexes. There aren't. The biologists have made that quite clear for over 50 years when we look at biological sex from a genetic perspective, from a hormonal perspective, a developmental perspective. It's obviously on a spectrum from a physical perspective. Yeah, I don't believe that. Well, (laughs) it doesn't matter what you believe. Well, you know what? I'm in one of those 30 states that I don't believe that. So that's not we're going to teach. Well, again, this is where it has significant ramifications, because if you are going to teach intentionally wrong, the ramifications, again, we're we're really narrow and we go, oh, well, that's going to lead to 
unintended pregnancy and sexually transmitted infections. Yeah, that's the tip of the iceberg. You want to talk about fear and anxiety? You want to talk about depression? You want to talk about sexual stereotypes? You want to talk about sexual prejudice? You want to talk about sexual discrimination? You want to talk about low self-esteem? You want to talk about guilt? You want to talk about poverty? You want to talk about the probability of someone completing high school or college? You want to talk about domestic violence? You want to talk about family violence? You want to talk about rape and sexual assault? We have the data to demonstrate all of those are correlated with the education you get relative to sex education. Yet, what do we do? So the changes, yeah. I was supposed to present this from an optimistic perspective. My optimism remains when you get a person and you put a person in a space in which you say, ask any question you want without judgment. Let's see what we can explore. Yeah. The optimism is there. And I mean, we have wonderful things that are going on right now. The Me Too movement uh, certainly is an example. Uh, I'm not going to critique, but if I was to add something, the Me Too movement is very much about a tertiary perspective as opposed to a primary perspective. I would love to see the Me Too movement have a huge ad campaign on comprehensive-based, in science-based, sex education, K-12 through education. Um, and and, and it, it, we have studies right now. There was a, a study just published in late 2017 that literally demonstrated a relationship between whether or not a female had comprehensive science-based sex education, K-12, through and the probability of whether or not she was raped during her college years. It decreased the probability. All right. The last thing I'm going to ask you, uh, just because of everything that's going on in the world right now, because I've been thinking about this too. Um, how do you think, because I truly believe that our world is going through a major shift right now. I mean, I think this is this is going to change things that people cannot grasp at this point. How do you think it's going to change the work that you do? I, I have a hard time saying this is a positive or a negative. So just in this past week, I had 14 professors email me and say, hey, can, can, can we integrate um, uh, your videos into our class? Because my gosh, I have to teach online now. I've never taught online and I, I'm loving it. Um, this is fantastic. That's why it's there. This is fantastic. I hope, here's an optimistic hope. I hope that people discern information in a more accurate fashion. I hope they're already starting to do that, but whether it's related to your physical health as we're talking about a virus or your physical health when it comes to sex, your mental health when it comes to sexuality, your sociological and relationship health when it comes to sexuality, 
I hope people are not more cynical. They may be, but I hope people are more critical with the sources of information that their friends are giving them. Those are my hopes. Um, Long term, I've, I've did several videos on physical development as it relates to touch. Um, you know, the, some of the classic studies in, in psychology are the Harry Harlow monkeys. And-, and here, Dr. Don talks about the effects of social isolation, citing the Harry Harlow monkey study from 1965. Here's a quote from Psychological Science. Using methods of isolation and maternal deprivation, Harlow showed the impact of contact comfort on primate development. Infant rhesus monkeys were taken away from their mothers and raised in a laboratory setting, with some infants placed in separate cages away from peers. Now, I literally cried in class when I first learned about this study in college. The study results basically show that without connection and touch, we shrivel up and waste away. It's horrible, but you can read more if you want to. I'll put a link in the episode notes. I hope we start to appreciate the physical relationships we have more so than the virtual and digital relationships we have. Because we are going to get through this. This this virus will go away in one way or another through... uh, um, it killing itself off or uh, us eventually uh, addressing this from a medical perspective. Who are we going to be afterwards? I, I hope we're, we're someone, we're a population that's afterwards that says, you know what, the, the, the phone uh, is, is truly a secondary form. Um, the things that are going on right now um there's certainly segments of uh, our minority populations within sexuality that are more likely to be affected by this disease. And I don't see the news picking up on this. Uh, people who are HIV infected, um, people who are more likely to smoke. And we do know that lesbian females are much more likely to smoke than heterosexual females, I would love to get that information out that people who are smoking and drinking are suppressing their immune system. And we can say that generally, but it's a much more powerful message when I can talk to particular segments of the population. Um, wow. You know, that, that, that it's a, it's a big question. And it, it made me, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you right now, Kara. So when this was going on, I said, well, you know, it's not important. We, we shouldn't do this with all the things that are going on right now. This isn't important. And I had that thought for about 10 seconds. And I said, actually, this is probably more important, even more important than when these things weren't going on, because this is about how powerful we are as individuals. We, we know our mental health is dramatically being affected right now. And as far as anxiety and depression, well, imagine going into this with a stronger self-esteem, a stronger self-concept, stronger tools to be able to address these psychological elements. Where do you get that from? Well, 
If you know thyself sexually, then you know thyself, period. I love that answer. And I, and you articulated um, quite a few things you just said that have gone through my mind. I mean, I asked myself that too, of course, like, is this critical right now? But I came to that same conclusion that I, I really think it is. And I really appreciate your thoughtful and thorough answers. I really do. I am super grateful that you took this time for me. I know you are a busy person and you've given me almost an hour and a half of your time. And I'm really grateful. And let's stay in touch. Dr. Don, you are officially invited to a post-pandemic party at my house. Let's social distance shake on it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on The Pleasure Principle today. Remember to join us for a live Q&A with Dr. Don on June 27th at 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Now, these sessions are usually on the 20th, so mark your calendar for this so you don't forget. You can ask questions that came up for you while listening to this episode, and I will ask Dr. Don to talk specifically about how a lack of holistic sex education helps perpetuate systemic racism. If you enjoy the content, and I hear from many of you that you do, please rate, review, and share a link to the podcast. You can always find us on Twitter at joyful underscore sex or on Instagram at joyful sex ed. I'm always grateful for your feedback and input, so keep it coming. And I look forward to seeing you on the 27th.